Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org friendshipwithgod.org or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Father, thank you so much for your word. Help us now, Lord, as we study. Open the word to us, open our hearts to receive it and to apply the lessons that will be meaningful in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, Genesis 44, verse 1 44, verse 1, he commanded the steward of his house, saying, fill the men's sack with food as much as they can carry and put every man's money in his sack's mouth. Put my cup, the silver cup, in the sack's mouth of the youngest and his corn money. And he did according to the word that Joseph had spoken. As soon as the morning was light, the men were sent away, they and their asses. And when they were gone out of the city and not yet far off, Joseph said unto his steward, up, follow after the man. And when thou dost overtake them, say unto them, Wherefore have you rewarded evil for good? Is not this it in which my Lord drinketh, and whereby indeed he divineth? Ye have done evil in so doing. And he overtook them, and he spake unto them these words, these same words. They said unto him, Wherefore saith my Lord these words? God forbid that thy servants should do according to this thing. Behold, the money which we found in our sacks' mouths we brought again unto thee out of the land of Canaan. How then should we steal out of the Lord's house silver or gold? With whomsoever of thy servants it be found, both let him die, and we also would be my Lord's bondmen. And he said, Now also let it be according to your words. He with whom it is found shall be my servant. You shall be blameless. And they speedily took down every man his sack to the ground and opened every man his sack. And he searched and began at the eldest and left at the youngest. And the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. Then they wrecked their clothes and laid it every man his ass and returned to the city. Judah and his brethren came to Joseph's house, for he was yet there. And they fell before him on the ground. And Joseph said unto them, What deed is this that you have done? What ye not that such a man as I can certainly divine? And Judah said, What shall we say unto my Lord? What shall we speak? How shall we clear ourselves? God hath found out the iniquity of thy servants. Behold, we are my Lord's servants, both we and he also with whom the cup is found. And he said, God forbid that I should do so. But the man in whose hand the cup is found, he shall be my servant. As for you, get you up in your peace unto your father. (laughs) Quite a dramatic passage here. So what we've seen so far is the return of Joseph's brethren. Now we got to keep in mind, this is the second time that they're going back. And we've seen in this a special reception for Benjamin because he came back the second time. He wasn't there first time. And so when Joseph saw Benjamin, his full brother, he saw the son of his mother. And then we saw this wisdom that Joseph had in how he was dealing with it. Joseph was, was very wise in many, many aspects. One of the aspects was then when he saw Benjamin, he was flooded with emotion. 
And then he decided, go back to work. This was not the time to make any decisions. This was not the time to do anything in the heat of emotions. And that was a lesson for us because we saw that when we're in the heat of emotions, that's not the time for us to be making clear, rational, good decisions. But we're in danger instead of making decisions based on rash emotion. And Joseph wouldn't do that. And so it's important to see about the brothers here that they came in contact with, that everyone that the brothers came in contact with, they told a lie to. I mean, when they came in contact with their father Jacob, they told a lie about how Joseph disappeared to some wild beast and torn him apart. When they came in contact with the governor, they told a lie when they said, we are true men. And even to the steward, when they were explaining how they found their money, they said that all of us opened our, our sacks in the end. That was a lie. And so all this tells us is that with regard to these brothers, up until this point, there's no repentance. There's no change in their ways. And when they stop telling lies, and when they start to tell the truth, then you know they've repented. And so this was Joseph's goal here, was to bring them to repentance. Now, we saw also that Joseph has a very remarkable friend, really, who is working for him. It's the steward. He was a great steward. He was a great witness to the brothers, even though he was very, very busy at the time. He took time out and he talked to his brothers about how they needed to turn to God. And he saw that they needed peace. And he he told them, he showed them how they could find peace and how they could be thankful that the money was returned. And he just demonstrated this to them uh, on the how-to. And it's interesting, and we see how when Joseph was in his home, way back when he was 17 years old, and he told his family about his dreams. His family rejected Joseph. They rejected his dreams. They said, no, we won't have anything to do with you, and then they threw him into a pit. And then having been rejected and cast into this pit, then Joseph then finds himself no longer in his family, but now he's among the Egyptians. And so he tells the Egyptians about interpreting dreams. They're open they're receptive. They're not what his family was. Now, that's a very clear picture to us of how the Lord Jesus Christ came to his own Jewish people, and he was not received by them, just like Joseph wasn't. As it says in John 1.11, he came unto his own, and his own received him not. It's also a picture of Paul. Paul, his heart's desire, prayer to God, was for Israel that they might be saved in Romans 10.1. And so he went to the Jewish people, but there again, he found a very similar response in Acts 13.46. Acts 13.46, where it explains, Paul and Barnabas waxed bold and said, it was necessary that the word of God should first have been spoken unto you. But seeing you put it from you and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, lo, we turn to the Gentiles. They repeated that in Acts 28, 28, Acts 28, 28, where Paul said, be it known therefore unto you that the salvation of God is sent unto the Gentiles and that they will hear it. So the believing Gentiles are described in Isaiah 55, 5, Isaiah 55, 5, where God says, behold, thou shalt call a nation that thou knowest not, that's the Gentiles, and nations that knew not thee shall run unto thee because of the Lord thy God and for the Holy One of Israel. 
So the Gentiles are described in Isaiah 55.5 as those that run to God. And as we've seen about uh, Joseph, the Egyptian Gentiles ran to Joseph for the interpretation of his dream, for the wisdom that he had, for the guidance of their country, saved them from starvation, as opposed to the family that ran away from him. So now when we look at this in chapter 44, we mentioned it last week, you can't emphasize enough how this is really a very closed family affair. It's very, very intimate. It's really very private between Joseph and his family. And we're just kind of privileged to sort of be on the outside of the building and and sort of look in the windows and see what's going on in there. And that's really where we are as we read in chapter 44 here. So we come to verses one and two here. And when we read this, we see that Joseph has got something in mind. He's got something in mind when it says he, he commands the steward of his house. He says, fill every man's sack with food, as much as they can carry. Put every man's money in his sack's mouth. And then he says, put my cup, in verse 2, the silver cup, in the sack's mouth of the youngest, in his corn money. And then he did according to what Joseph had spoken. Joseph has a plan. He's got a very specific plan. There's actually parts to this plan. He's carefully thought it through. He knows exactly what he wants to do. He's called on his faithful steward there. He can trust him. This is a special relationship that Joseph has with his steward. Joseph is clearly trusting him. He's given him every little detail of what he should do. He's put the words in his mouth, and this steward is playing perfectly according to what Joseph wants done. And the steward After all, in his role and what he's been told to do, this steward is going to rise up and he's going to harshly accuse Benjamin of stealing a cup. And he knows that Benjamin didn't steal the cup, but he's going to play the role. He's going to get the Academy Award for this role. He's going to be so good at this. He's going to plant the cup in Benjamin's sack, and then he's going to go out as a perfect actor in this drama, and he's going to do this so well. And in order for this to happen, it kind of brings us back to the dynamics between the steward and Joseph. And in those dynamics, we see that Joseph is not treating this steward like he's some servant, like do this, do that, don't ask any questions, just do what I tell you. He's not treating him that way. He's treating him as a friend because he's bringing him in to the purpose and the goal of his plan, which is to bring his brothers to repentance. This relationship that we see between Joseph and the steward is a wonderful picture for us of the relationship that our heavenly Joseph, the Lord Jesus Christ, wants to have with us as his faithful stewards. And he describes this relationship, the Lord Jesus does, in John 15, 13. In John 15, 13, where he explains, greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And that's the big topic here, friends. And then he says, ye are my friends, if ye do whatsoever I command you. Henceforth, I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. But I have called you friends, for all things that I have heard of my Father I have made known to you. So what characterizes the difference between the servant and the friend is that the friend knows what the Lord is doing, and he's on the same page, and he wants to accomplish that. He's goal-oriented. He's purpose-driven. Not just job, I got to do this, I got to do that. And the Lord Jesus Christ, he's a friend, obviously, God the Father. Therefore, God the Father not only told the Lord Jesus Christ what he wanted him to do, but he told him the purpose or the ultimate goal when he came to earth. Just as Joseph 
didn't only tell the steward what he wanted him to do, he told him the purpose, the goal. And this is what makes the difference between, for us, of being held in a servant relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and being in a friend relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. You get the feeling when you read the New Testament that the Lord is drawing us into this friendship. In fact, he even said in John 16, 12, I got so many things I want to tell you, I can't tell you. He says that in John 16, 12. I have yet many things to say unto you, but you can't bear them now. He says, I've just kind of reached the the upper limit of (laughs) what you can take right now, and you can't take anymore. He has so many things he wants to tell us about his will, about his goal, about his purposes, but we need to increase our capacity. So Joseph instructs his steward to once again fill the, the sacks with money, just like he did before, only this time takes the silver cup and he puts it in Benjamin's sack. And it's what he did here. And then he says, as soon as the sun rises, in verse 3, send him away. So the morning is light. The men were sent away, they and their asses. So here we see the boys are finally on their way. Can't you just picture them? They're so happy. They said, wasn't that a great yesterday? Oh, man, it was so wonderful. We had a meal together with the governor. We were so happy. We were eating. We were drinking. We were just happy. Oh, they were thinking themselves, Everything is all right now. <laughs> and so they have no idea that the silver cup is in Benjamin's sack as they just head off with this real warm send-off. And then Joseph that tells the steward to wait till they get just outside the town, just outside the city, and then go probably with a band of soldiers, overtake them, and accuse them, which is what happened in verse 4 when they were going out of the city, not yet far off. Joseph said unto his steward, Up, follow after the men. When thou dost overtake him, say unto them, Wherefore have you rewarded evil for good? So, these little statements that we see here, it's very, they're tucked away in these first six verses that's easy to overlook. And that's in verse two, and speaking about the steward. He did according to the word that Joseph had spoken. And then in verse six, he spake unto them these same words. So, there's an emphasis here when this is given to us these two statements. I mean, you think this was easy for the steward to do? It was not really easy. He's being asked to lie. I mean, you know, the steward is being asked to accuse the brothers of something he knew they had not done. And he did a pretty good job of it. And he had to because he not only had to do a good job in front of the, the brothers, he had to do a good job in front of the soldiers as well. He had to sound very convincing in front of both the brothers and soldiers. And And, you know, maybe the steward would have said something like, I don't get it, because, you know, to Joseph, you've been teaching me all about the God of truth, and now you're asking me to lie. (laughs) But but he he did what he was told to do. You know, it's kind of like the Jewish midwives who were told to kill the Jewish baby boys by Pharaoh in Egypt, and they saved them alive. And it says, and I don't want to comment on it, it just says, in Exodus 1.18, the king of Egypt called for the midwives and said unto them, Why have you done this thing and have saved the men, children alive? And the midwives said unto Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not as the Egyptian women. They're lively. <laughs> Man, and they're delivered here. The midwives come in unto them. It's like, you know, where, where's the baby? Oh, he flew out of here. <laughs> that baby was born and walked out of the door. <laughs> and then it says, God... Therefore, God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and waxed very mighty. So the steward here, he's not questioning Joseph. He just did what he was told to do. That's faithfulness. 
He was obeying Joseph. And now, like we said here, Joseph had the brothers leave at the crack of dawn, and as soon as they get out of town, then he has them pursued. And you can feel this in verse 4 when Joseph says to the steward, Oh, you know, like, get up and go, follow after the men when thou hast overtake them. So why do you think that Joseph pursued and overtook them just when they were outside the city? Got any idea why? Yeah, okay. It was the commitment to stealing. That's actually right. It showed their commitment to stealing because if he let them go a little bit farther, you know, he was afraid they might do like they did before, go, what's in these sacks now, you know? Oh, we got a cup here. Let's go back there and return it so that then they wouldn't be committed to stealing. But, but so he says, you've got to hurry up and get them to prevent them from having any time to go through their, their sacks there, find the cup, and then voluntarily want to return the cup. We've got, we got to really catch them cold with the goods. So this is an, an important part of Joseph's plan. Now we see that Joseph is doing something in his plan. Very, very integral is that he places the cup in Benjamin's sack. That was a key to the overall plan of bringing this brothers to repentance. Now, let me me say that. If you were to to say, there was a root sin in how the brothers treated Joseph. So if you were to identify in the brothers the root sin of how the brothers treated Joseph, what would you say that sin was? Jealousy, exactly. Jealousy, or as the Another word is envy, envy, right? Because it says in Genesis 37, 11, Genesis 37, 11, when he was back at home as the 17-year-old, his brethren envied him, envied him. So it's jealousy, it's envy. And what is jealousy and envy? It's really to hate someone because he has something more than you. That's what it is. It's to hate someone because he has something more than you. Now, when Joseph was at home, what did he have more than the other brothers? His love and... His coat, he had his coat, right? He had the coat of many colors. And the brothers could say, well, we don't have a coat like that. Oh, no, but he does. Oh. And so that's what it says in Genesis 37, 3. Israel loved Joseph more than all his sons because he was the son of his old age. He made him a coat of many colors. And when his brethren saw that their father loved him more than his brethren, they hated him and could not speak peaceably unto him. So this is the sin that Joseph's brothers had against Joseph. They envied him. They were jealous of him because he was loved more by their father than they were, and he had this coat of many colors that they didn't didn't have. So Joseph's goal here is to see his brothers repent of the envy. That's really important. It's the envy or the jealousy. They must repent of jealousy and envy. That's got to be, that's part of his plan here, his goal. Now, Joseph, in a sense here, is going to take and try to turn the clock back to see if he can create a situation where he can get them to repent of envy. Now, he can't actually turn the clock back to where he was in there and get them to repent of envying Joseph, but he can set up a situation with another brother that will stand in this situation in representing Joseph, and then Joseph can sit back and see whether the brothers envy that brother. Now, what did Benjamin have that the other brothers did not have? What did he recently have? He had more food. So he had more food. So just like Joseph had the coat that they didn't have, he had five times more food. 
And it wasn't because he was especially hungry and they gave him five times more food or because he was especially large because he was the youngest after all. So back home, it was clear to them also that Benjamin did have this special love of the father because they had witnessed how the father said, oh, you guys go down there, I don't care, but not him. You know, I don't want to let him go. He's the last one that I have, uh, the only woman I ever loved, Rachel. So Joseph, in his overall plan the day before here, he has set up this situation where Benjamin got five times more food. And that was part of his plan. It was, it was very much like giving uh, Benjamin the coat of many colors, only it was the coat of five times the food. So Joseph's plan here is to see if the brothers still have this sin of envy in them. This is marvelous because Joseph has now really turned the clock back 25 years and recreated in Egypt at that feast his childhood days when he was back in Canaan. It's exactly the way it was 25 years ago, except Benjamin is going to play the role of Joseph, and Joseph is going to play the role of Jacob showering this special attention on Benjamin. So this exact same scene of Jacob giving to Joseph the better coat of many colors is now the better portion of food. So we understand what Joseph was doing in that meal there. He's closely now, that's why it says he set up his table across from them, so it's not like Saidi has to look at he can just kind of really eagle eye him and see how they're going to treat Benjamin. And that explains to us why Joseph insisted that when they returned, they had to bring Benjamin, because he needed Benjamin to execute his plan to see if they had repent of the envy. So if the brother's response to Benjamin's fortune was envy, then he would know that, but Joseph could read if the brothers had repented of what they had done to him, and that was important. So he creates a similar situation where the one brother is favored, okay, and the other, and to see whether the brothers are going to yield to the temptation. That was pretty smart of Joseph. That's pretty clever. Now, that was part one of Joseph's plan to see if the brothers would just repeat their Genesis 37-4 envy of hating Joseph because he had the coat of many colors and he was loved by the father more. Now, and the great thing is, is that the brothers passed that repentance test because they didn't show any resentment, no envy of Benjamin because he got five times more food than they got. Now, That was part one, and that was the test for the the sin of envy to see whether or not that was gone out of him. Now comes part two. Now, and part two now, and he's probing more into the reality of repentance. Because after all, what is repentance? Repentance is a change. Joseph is testing here to see if the brothers have changed, if they're not the same as he remembers that they were. So there was something else that happened in the childhood life of Joseph. What do you remember? What did Joseph do that got the brothers in trouble? He spied on them, right? He spied, he tattled on them. Remember that? In Genesis 37 2? Genesis 37 2 is where it starts off. It says that uh, that he was 17 years old. He was feeding the flock with his brethren. The lad was with the sons of Bilhah and with the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought unto his father their evil report. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.com. 
friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. Or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Join Tom Cantor, Ray Comfort, Dr. Michael Brown at the Israel Restoration Ministries Jewish Evangelism and Training Conference happening in San Diego on Friday evening, February 9th and Saturday morning, February 10th at the Creation Museum in Santee, California. Learn from great Bible teachers like radio host Tom Cantor from Friendship with God, as well as world-renowned Jewish evangelist Ray Comfort, radio host Dr. Michael Brown, director of Jews for Jesus Israel Dan Sered, Friends of Israel field director Steve Herzig, Pastor Leo Giovanetti, and many others. Cost for this two-day conference is only $25, which covers all speakers, food, and materials. So register today to hear Tom Cantor, Ray Comfort, Dr. Michael Brown, Jews for Jesus, and Friends of Israel on how we can reach the lost people of America and Israel on February 9th and 10th. Call us at 619-599-1104, 619-599-1104, or sign up at reachisrael.com, reachisrael.com.